and this is my kind of November, uh, absolutely. So glad you joined us today. If I haven't met you, uh, my name is Randy, and we have for several weeks now been uh, studying through the book of Acts, uh, just taking our time, kind of look at the amazing stories to hear about uh, the church that Jesus Christ established and how it got into to being and uh, just what the Bible teaches us today, how we can live. And so I'm excited about another installation of that today. Last week in our study, we saw that one of the deacons, uh, his name was Stephen, man who was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, the Bible said, that he had grown his faith and service until he became a preacher and uh, an evangelist and, uh, and a uh, defender of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And also it unfortunately led to a mob death as the first Christian martyr. So we read about Stephen and the Bible said that after Stephen's death, a great persecution took place and the Christians began to leave Jerusalem. They scattered, but everywhere they went, they preached the gospel. Well, today we're going to be looking at a second of the deacons. His name is Philip. Uh, last uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about the deacons in the church, the early church, the first deacons. Said there were seven of them. Only two of them really are spoken of a great deal uh, after they were appointed. That's Stephen and secondly, Philip. And so we're going to look at Philip and his ministry. So we're in Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, I want to take a moment and just stop here because this is going to be a huge step in the growth of the church. This is going to be a big thing, and we can be grateful for that because the gospel is going to leave the, the Jewish world and enter into uh, the, the Gentile world a little bit because Samaria was not a Jewish community. Jesus had told his disciples before he went into heaven that he wanted them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to all the world. And so the mission is beginning to spread out and, uh, and it's going to go all over the world at some point. But to this point, the gospel had only been taken to Jewish people. Uh, now this is the beginning of the movement of the gospel to all people around the world. Now who were the Samaritans? Well, about 750 years before this time, the Assyrians had come into Jerusalem, they'd overtaken the people, conquered them, deported all the wealthy and middle class uh, men and women into their own country back out of Jerusalem, Judea area, over to Babylon. This is the time of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament. So kind of gives you a framework of that. And so they had taken all the educated and young people uh, from the area, and they moved in a pagan population. This is one thing they did in that day. They would, they, other countries that they had conquered, they would bring population from this country and, and put them in that country. And what they would do would be dilute the uh, identity of the people to kind of keep them from rising up, up again. And, and they were intermarried with them, and so they would become a mixed group of people. And so these intermarried people in that area were known as Samaritans, and they were hated by the Jews. However, Jesus had no animosity toward them. In fact, at one point, he spent a lot of time, uh, perhaps a day, with a Samaritan woman, leading her and her whole town back to God. And so Jesus engaged and involved, invested in the Samaritan people, but on the whole, the Jewish people did not. They were not connected with them at all. In fact, they hated them. So at any rate, as the church began to spread, obviously they're gonna go into these other areas that are unreached to this point. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit led Philip to a city there in Samaria where he proclaimed the Messiah, where he did signs and wonders to confirm the message. And as a result of that, many people responded and gave their life to Christ and joy came to them. So let's pick up in verse nine. 
Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. So here was in this town uh, was a man named Sorcerer, and he was a, a Simon. He was a sorcerer or a wizard, and he used the power of the occult to do black magic. You know, we talked a few weeks ago that there are two teams. There's God's teams and Satan team. And if it's not God's um, kingdom you're working with, it's got to be Satan. And so he was doing this magic by the power of Satan. And he was using sorcery, uh, magic. Uh, he was using sleight of hand, you know, all sorts of deception. But he had impressed the people and created a following of his own. In fact, the people called him the great power of God. So they kind of viewed him as their spiritual leader and they followed him. So when Philip showed up and began to preach Jesus, I'm sure that, that Simon at first thought this was competition uh, to himself. And so he was a little bit um, you know, defensive, I'm sure, about this, as anyone might be. But the people began to follow Philip and to listen to him, and they began to respond to the message of the gospel by believing and being baptized. In fact, Simon, who may have seen him as competition at first, even believed as well, and he was converted. So here was an amazing thing that happened here. Uh, Simon, uh, you know, left behind the occult and black magic, and he began to embrace Christ, was baptized. He followed Philip around. He was impressed with the true power of God, an amazing conversion. I'm sure what an amazing story that this was for Philip to be able to tell about Simon who'd been converted from the darkness. Anyway, back in Jerusalem, the apostles who had remained there, they started hearing about the people who were being saved in Samaria, and they got excited about it. You know, they knew that the, king, the gospel was for more than just Jewish people, so they got excited. And in verse 14, it said, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, for the gospel to go beyond the Jewish people was a big, big deal. And so the apostles, while they had not been engaged in this, Philip had been the one who was teaching and seeing people respond. The apostles said, we need to know about this. We need to be a part of this and celebrate it. And so they sent Peter and John there to that city to pray for and encourage the new believers. Remember that before this, the Samaritans had not had access to God. You know, they had been kind of cut off and they felt that distance from God and the Jewish people, uh, you know, they discriminated against them because they didn't have the access to God that the Jews had. Also remember that Jesus had given Peter what he called the keys to the kingdom of God, meaning that Peter would be the one who would pri be privileged to welcome new people groups into the church. So Peter was there on the day of Pentecost, preached a message to bring the, to begin the church and welcome the Jews in. He's going to be here in this place to welcome the Samaritans who were half Jews. On down the road, we're going to talk about how he's there for the first Gentile, totally Jewish converts. So Peter has this privilege of welcoming people into the kingdom of God. And the reason he had that, 
if you go back and read it, was because he was the first to declare that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So he had that, that blessing to be able to do that. Luke also notes here that the people had not yet received the Holy Spirit. You know, we read back when we began uh, the study in Acts chapter 2 that when they were baptized, they were baptized for their sins to be forgiven and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter said would happen that day. And they did receive the Holy Spirit. However, these people had been baptized and they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, honestly, this is a little bit confusing and I'm not sure exactly why they had not received the Holy Spirit at their baptism. But keep in mind that this also was a unique moment in the history of the church. This was a, this was a whole new thing happening here. And because they were not fully Jewish, I think it was important that they receive the blessing and the laying on of hands by the apostles themselves so that they would know that they were just as in, just as welcome in the kingdom as were the Jewish people. And so uh, the apostles went down to do that. We're not told specifically, but perhaps they, like the believers on the day of Pentecost, were given special gifts, special public uh, demonstrations to prove the presence of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the giving of the gift of tongues on that day. But there was something that was special because there was an obvious difference in them because it caught Simon's attention. Now here's, back to Simon again. Simon is a new convert to Christ and he's got a past, he's got a, got a history and we're gonna see something interesting that happens here. In verse 18, when Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also the ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you've said may happen to me. And after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So here's kind of an interesting lesson here. The church just constantly experiences these issues or these moments that are difficult. There was Ananias and Sapphira. There was Stephen's uh, martyrism. There's just events happening here. And here's a time where not only is the church being open to people who are non-Jews, but, but there's also a, a little bit of problem coming up where someone you know, begins to depart from the faith that they just embraced. What happens here is that Simon's professional instincts as a magician were piqued whenever he saw what was happening here. When the giving of the Holy Spirit, he thought to himself, if I could do that, it would be worth a fortune. I mean, the, you know, the, the magician in him and the, the showman in him was still there. Um, and uh, so we are who we are even after we give our life to Christ and we still have vulnerabilities. So he tried to buy the power from the apostles. He offered them money. I would love to be able to do that myself. And Peter strongly condemned Simon, telling him that his heart is not right with God, that he was a captive to sin, that he must immediately repent or he will be lost. You know, I think Simon had probably been one of the most promising converts to this point. When you win someone from that level of darkness, you know, he had believed, he had repented, he had been baptized, he was attending church. There was no indication at all that he was not sincere to this point, but now he was in a lost state. And when I read this, I got to be honest, this is one of the strongest passages in the Bible to refute what I think may be a doctrine that we hear about called once saved, always saved. Simon proves here that a believer can be lost and fall away. 
Simon kind of lost it here. He believed, he was obedient, he was baptized, he was going to church, he was doing everything right, but he proves that a person can be lost, not because the Lord left him, because he left the Lord. And what's interesting here is that Peter said, you must repent, but instead of repenting, Simon said, will you pray for me? So he asked Peter to pray for him. Now, church tradition says that Simon did not repent and that he actually went on to become a false prophet and oppose uh, the church. So we don't know for sure, but here's an interesting story that kind of lets us know the danger of trying to exploit the gospel for our personal use. So Simon was a sorcerer, and I know he was also a source of disappointment for Philip, but God wasn't done with Philip. You know, sometimes when a uh, a, a Christian gets disillusioned by someone else falling away. It could be very discouraging. But God said, you know what, Philip, don't be discouraged. I got a new job for him. So let's pick it up in verse 26. Now, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in the charge of all the treasury of the Kandike, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go down to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him, and this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passive scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So Philip is getting the chance to open all kind of doors for the gospel. First of all, to Samaritans who were half Jews, and now to a Gentile who had been converted to Judaism. Now, when I read this story, there's a word there that always kind of grabs our attention, isn't it? That, that word eunuch, you know, and we're like, kind of throws us for a loop. Why, why is that in there exactly? Well, the term in that day was oftentimes used for someone who did not marry but was committed to his work. If you look it up, it's not just the physical state of someone, it's someone who was committed to their work and was in a business of some sort. You know, Jesus said that that marriage was not for everyone. In Matthew chapter 19, he said, for there are eunuchs who are born that way, others were made that way by men, still others live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So we kind of see here it's, uh, that this man was committed to his work. He was not married, didn't have a family. Uh, he was all about serving the queen of the Ethiopians. It's also likely that this was a black man since he was from Ethiopia. And it was showing the church as just being opened up to all people. He was a wealthy man, no doubt. He was in charge of the, king, the queen's treasury. He had the ability to travel. So he's come a long, long way, very successful. Uh, the scripture said he had been to Jerusalem to worship because he was a uh, Jewish proselyte. He was uh, Ethiopian, a, a Gentile, but he had become a Jew. So he was now worshiping in Jerusalem on his way home, reading the book of Isaiah. And it says the Holy Spirit not only prompted, but led Philip to go up. And I almost have this picture. They're riding along and Philip kind of jogging alongside of the chariot and, uh, and just kind of getting to know the guy a little bit until he's invited to climb in and, and ride with the guy. Again, the guy was reading, the Ethiopian was reading from Isaiah 53, describing the sacrificial sin-bearing work of the Messiah. So the prophecies that were in the Old Testament here. 
And the eunuch asked Philip who the writer was talking about. Is he talking about himself, Isaiah, or is he talking about someone else to come? And basically, this gave Philip the opportunity to open the door up to share the gospel. And he began to explain who Jesus was and what Jesus had done for us. And, it, and that scripture pictures Jesus as the Lamb of God. You know, we know uh, that Jesus carries that t- uh, tone throughout uh, the scripture. Last week, we even talked about us being the, the sheep, uh, the sheep who follow Jesus. But uh, Jesus is the Lamb of God. And I'm, I'm confident that Philip probably went back and talked about uh, the Passover where the lamb was put to death and the blood was put on the doorpost so that the death angel would pass over and how Jesus is our Passover. He is the lamb of God given for the sin of the world. And uh, that when he was tried, he didn't defend himself. He freely lay his life down for us. It says that Philip began at the scripture, but then he went on and he talked about the good news of Jesus. And he had to have shared the plan of salvation with this man to believe in Jesus, to repent of his sin, to confess Jesus as Lord and be baptized because in verse 36, we pick up the story. As they travel along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can, be, what can stand in the way of my being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. You know, baptism is included in every account of conversion in the book of Acts. Again, we see the church beginning in the book of Acts. We see it growing, being spread in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and as we continue throughout much of the known world at that time. And baptism is a part of that all along the way. Before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, including uh, the thief on the cross, uh, people were saved by obeying the law. But Jesus replaced the law when the church began And now he commends everyone to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this account also reinforces the the reality that baptism is by immersion. It says they went down into the water, Philip baptized him, and they came up out of the water. And then it said, immediately the Spirit of the Lord took Philip away, and he went back to preaching to the Samaritans again. And in fact, Philip is called the evangelist because that was his heart. He just wanted to take the gospel of Jesus to everybody. Meanwhile, it says the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. You know, I'm told that today the top, the Coptic Christians who live in Egypt, they're heavily persecuted in Egypt, but they trace their lineage, their spiritual heritage back to the Ethiopian eunuch who was led to Christ by Philip that day. You know, I I love this story. I love these uh, accounts that we're seeing here about how the gospel is impacting lives, changing people, and bringing them to Jesus. But there's a couple of questions I want to talk about today to make this more personal before we leave this chapter. And the first is to all Christians. This is to all of us who are believers. And this is the fact that, that God is asking us the question, who has God put in front of you? Who has God put in front of you? You know, Philip is available and God is leading him. Do you see how God just has taken Philip, who was a servant to start with, a a deacon, and suddenly he's been willing to go to an unknown city, a place he'd never been before, I'm sure, and he's ready to talk to to people about Jesus. Anybody, everybody, even a sorcerer, a wizard, he's, he's ready, he's available. 
And God is leading him to people specifically saying, I want you to go to this city where Simon is and I want you to give him the opportunity. Okay, now you've done your work there. I wanna take you out into the desert to a guy that you'll never see again, but I want you to talk to him. God was putting him before the right people. The reality is that God uses people to save people. God uses people like you and I. And sometimes they're most unexpected people that you could imagine. We feel like we're looking for people just like us, but oftentimes they're very different from us. For Philip, it was a sorcerer and a queen's treasurer. He had nothing in common with either one of them. But the lesson we learn here is that Philip was open and ready to share Jesus with everyone, no matter who they were, no matter where he met them. And this is what I believe God is calling on our life today because we're not good at this. We're not good at sharing Jesus with people, with whoever God puts in front of us. You know, it may be an existing relationship that God calls you to, to talk to someone about, but you don't always have to earn the right to be heard. I mean, Philip didn't even know either of these guys. He just shows up, God leads him, shows up, and he starts telling them about Jesus. And then what's also interesting here is that Philip didn't hang around to disciple him. You might think, well, he needs to go with that Ethiopian because he's, got a, he's a great investment. But no, says the Spirit tucked Philip immediately and he took him somewhere else. He told him about Jesus, he baptized him, and he disappeared. What I've learned is that sometimes God will take us and lead us to people, sometimes reluctantly, but the people that he wants us to talk to. And that's why I wanna tell you a story that happened to me several years ago. Several years ago in our community, we had a, a man and a woman, a couple, and they were alcoholics, both of them were. And they were literally killing themselves, destroying their family and killing themselves. And they were people that were always in the hospital. One day I visited them in the hospital. They were both there together in the same room. I've never seen a husband and wife in the same room, but they were that day because they were just dying of alcoholism. And uh, so, you know, you get used to visiting those people after a while and you're like, you kind of get hardened to them and you go, well, you know, I've done that, been there and done that. It's not going to work. So anyway, one Sunday morning, uh, someone came to me and said, well, so-and-so is in the hospital down at Bluegrass. And, uh, you know, you ought to go see him. Well, you know, we're, ministers are human too, you know, and we're, we're, we put things off as well. So on Monday, I'm in the hospital for something. I'm not personally sick, but I'm in the hospital and um, to pick up something or whatever it may be. But I decided, you know what? I don't think I'm gonna go there. I don't think I'm gonna do that today. <laughs> Doesn't seem like a good use of time. So that's Monday. On Tuesday, oddly enough, I was in the hospital again for something. I don't know what it was. I can't remember. I wasn't sick again, but, but I was there and I still didn't go see this lady. So on Wednesday, I was in the hospital again, which never happens, but we have our ministers meeting there, or used to. And so it was on second floor and I was right around the corner and I thought, ah, you know, so I come back to uh, the church and I hadn't been here very long and I began to have this pain in my side. Some of you know this story. I had this pain in my side, this amazing, unbelievable pain. I've never had it. Before long, I was in horrible pain. I, I said my fingertips were buzzing. I've never had anything like it in my life. So at any rate, I had a couple of staff members take me to the hospital, back to the hospital again. I'm in the hospital, same floor, this time in no condition to talk to anybody, and I was diagnosed with a kidney stone. So they gave me some medicine that should help me pass it. I'd take the medicine, go home, lay down, go to sleep for a couple hours, get up, go to the bathroom, and black out. So just dropped to the floor. Scared Lord to death. She called the ambulance. Uh, the ambulance came. I'm hard-headed. I wouldn't go with them, but Lori took me to the hospital. So I'm, I'm in the ER, 
And I'm laying there, you know, and the nurse is working on me. And she goes, uh, this woman walks through, this other nurse, and she goes, does anybody know Randy Nation? And uh, the nurse was working on me, go, well, yeah, he's right here. He's going to be your next patient. He's coming up. And uh, she was a nurse on second floor. And the hospital's small if you haven't been there, you know. So, but at any rate, so, uh, yeah, he's, he's going to be your next patient. He's coming up. So, uh, so I end up, uh, this, by then it's, you know, this Wednesday evening, it's getting later in the, in the evening. And so I go upstairs and I walk in the, in, uh, I'm, I'm in my room and the nurse walks in and says, uh, Mr. Nation. And I said, yes. And she goes, uh, I really hate to bother you, but there's a lady here who really wants to talk to you. And I, I knew instantly who it was. <laughs> so, um, I said, well, I'm not really in very good shape to do that with a catheter in and everything else. I said, I really can't do it. Let me call somebody. So we had some staff members I, I called. They're not here now, but I called them. I couldn't get anybody. I couldn't get anybody. This time it's getting later in the evening. I couldn't get them. And, and uh, so uh, the, the nurse comes back in and says, I really hate to bother you, but she's very insistent. She really wants to talk to you. And so I, uh, I said, well, I, I can't go right now. I can't do that, but I will tomorrow when I get loose. So the next morning, I sleep through the night. Next morning, get, I get let go. And while Lori's coming to get me, I get dressed and I walk into this room. And the first word she said, Randy, I'm so glad you came. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I felt about that big. You can imagine. We never, ever know. Never know. Now, the funny part after that is I did have to have a surgery to break up one of the kidney stones and I was recovering from that, and uh, I was getting ready for bed one night. I hear the phone ring downstairs. It's kind of late. I hear the phone ring, and Lori answered it, and she said, well, he can't come because he's recovering from a procedure. And I said, who is it? And she said, it's the hospital. Somebody wants to see you. I said, tell him I'll be there in about five minutes. I said, uh, I'm on my way. All right? You don't have to teach tell me twice, right? So the question I want to ask you is, who is God putting before you? Who is God putting before you? Whoever that is, unexpectedly, and maybe someone you about given up on, may be the one that God wants you to talk to, all right? Don't forget that question, or you could learn the hard way, and that's not fun, all right? But the second question, I think, is for those who have not yet given their life to Christ or have not been obedient in baptism. And this is a lesson comes from the Ethiopian eunuch, because the eunuch said, well, here's water. What's preventing me from being baptized? I think this is striking. I mean, this is amazing. Obviously, as I've said before, Philip had talked about Jesus. He had talked about baptism. And this didn't come from just nowhere. The, the eunuch, the Ethiopian understood, this is what God wants from me. And so he's taking the initiative and saying, well, I'll be baptized right now. Here's some water which is unusual to find water in the desert, right? But there it was. I almost think God put it there for him, right? So the most natural thing for him to do after believing in Jesus was to be baptized immediately. Did he know everything? No, he didn't know everything. Was he a mature disciple? No, absolutely not. We don't know how long he and Philip talked, but it probably could have been less than an hour. Not long. First hearing of Jesus. He was in Ethiopia. He'd never heard of Jesus probably until this moment. But he knew the basics, and he knew that he should be obedient in baptism. He knew that. He didn't look for excuses, like, well, I just, I don't know a whole lot of what I'm doing. He didn't look for a reason to delay it, like, do you know who I am? I'm not going to get in that dirty 
pond water out there. You know, he, he didn't look for any reasons to say no. He had a sense of urgency. He said, I need to be baptized right now. And look, there's some water. Can I get baptized right at this moment? I, you know, I think that's a great question. It really is. Baptism is where we identify with Jesus and his death and his burial and resurrection. The Bible says it is a new birth. It's a new beginning. First Peter 3 says it's a pledge of a clear conscience before God. In other words, it's being totally clear, transparent, obedient to God right now, saying I'm not gonna hold back anything. And that's what some of you need to do today. Maybe you've been a believer for a long time or maybe you just gave your life to Christ. It's time to do that. Don't put it off. Grasp the sense of urgency that this Ethiopian man had. And the answer to his question is nothing. He said, what's keeping me from being baptized? And Philip couldn't think of a good reason, nor could he. There's nothing keeping you from being baptized right now. If you've been around our church very long, you know that we do baptism anytime and all the time. Anytime. Middle of the day, night, whenever, week, through the week, it doesn't matter when it is because we believe the Bible teaches we need to respond in baptism when we give our life to Christ as soon as possible. And I know people who have put their baptism off to the time that they never were able to do it. They just delayed it. They just put it off and never, ever got around to it. And that's an issue. There really is. So there's nothing from keeping you from being baptized right now. You've heard about Jesus that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. He is the lamb of God who gave his life so that your sins could be forgiven and that you could get to heaven, go to heaven whenever you die. So the only thing, oh, and let me just say, we have our baptistry filled and warm and towels and t-shirts and shorts and we got time, all right? We try to take away all the excuses and all the reasons. So let me ask you, what is keeping you from being baptized? And I was trying to think, and I don't have an exhaustive list, but what are some of the reasons why people don't? Uh, One is pride. Do I really have to do that? I mean, Jesus did. He was humbled. Certainly anyone could get a pass. It should have been him, right? But Jesus did. I don't need to do that. That's pride. Procrastination. I'll get around to it sometime. Well, when does that happen? You know, It's a big, horrible thing that we procrastinate doing things. And not only that, not doing what you know you should do is a sin. In James 4, it says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Obedience, humility, doing what we know is right and good, all those are reasons that we need to be baptized as soon as possible. And you know, if you're a procrastinator, which all of us have some of that in us, there just never seems to be a good time to do the things that, we, that we're reluctant to do. And today is the perfect day. And that's what I wanna to offer to you. Today is the perfect day. Everything is ready. We're gonna have a, a couple songs here and some time to chat. I'm gonna be up here. Tony is, Zach's available. All of our staff is, is available to talk to you. Somebody with you. If you wanna bring somebody with you, they can help, help baptize you. I'm telling you, we wanna take away every excuse, every reason you might have not to be baptized today. Because the Bible says today is a day of salvation. Today is a day of obedience. Today is a day. There is nothing keeping you from being baptized except you and your decision. So I wanna offer that to you because we hope that we'll have some baptisms in a few moments. If the Spirit's leading you and moving you, 
we're going to baptize you in a few. We will talk to you to make sure you know what you're doing to make this decision. But let's think about this man who heard about Jesus and who was willing to obey. And my hope is that that's you today. I hope it is. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful day and God, a, a day that we've come to gather to worship you and to hear your word. And Lord, I, I wanna pray that there are those here today who need to make a decision for Christ. Maybe their first time ever to de- declare that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And Lord, may we be humble like this Ethiopian who heard the gospel and just said, I'm in, I'm in. I wanna be obedient. I wanna do everything. I wanna have a clear conscience toward God. Not declare that I've done everything that God's called me to do. Lord, I pray that if you lay that up on hearts today, that there will be people who respond. Even though they didn't plan, they would have to admit there's nothing keeping me from being baptized. Lord, move, may your spirit move in us. May your spirit challenge us. For those of us who are believers, Father, <clears throat> put people in our life and then give us the courage to, to, to respond and share the gospel with the people that you put before us. Lord, I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to be up front. Tony will be here. Zach's available. We would love to talk to you. Uh, if God's moving you, just step up and, and share as we, as we worship.